In this era of grave spiritual crisis, it is not enough to simply know about your Catholic faith. That is why we need a Catholic toolbox to equip us with the practical skills necessary to live our Catholic faith to reach our ultimate goal, which is heaven for all eternity. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Join us every Tuesday night at 8pm for the Catholic Toolbox as we hand you the tools to go forth, live the faith and change our modern world today. Live on The Voice of Charity. to another week on the Catholic Toolbox, the art of practical Catholicism. I'm your host and founder, George Manasseh, here as we equip you with practical tools to live your Catholic faith in our modern world of today. And uh, bringing here a good friend of mine, Father Paul Rouse, back on the show. Welcome back, Father. Thanks, George. Great to be with you. Good evening, everyone. Excellent. And uh, congratulations on your appointment as a parish priest in, down the Archdiocese of Melbourne. Thank you very much. Thank you. Yes. I hesitate to accept congratulations insofar as it's a, a role of service, first of all. But yes, it, it's a, a great joy, a great uh, privilege to be given responsibility for souls. Huh? Great, great, and great, wonderful thing to do. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, is this your first parish appointment? First appointment as a parish priest, yes. I, I had care of a small parish when I lived in England for, well, two of three years that I was there. Um, a little parish called Blessed Hughes in Farringdon. You can look them up. Uh, but St. Dominic's is the first Australian parish that I've been given responsibility for. Yeah, and first time as parish priest. So it's, it's all happening very fast and with, uh, with great joy. Excellent. And which brings us to our topic uh, about parish life, the future of parish life. And um, it, what inspired me to really want to speak about this, and especially with you, is your new appointment and... Um, and you really do have a great perspective as a religious uh, living in community and now transitioning to parish life. And, and I take a great interest in it because, I mean, the numbers are really declining. I mean, the, the latest census shows a decline in faith and 70% of Catholics, uh, um, I mean, sorry, not actually 70%, it's actually 10% of Catholics, roughly in the 10% mark that actually go to mass. Uh, and 70% of which, a lot of which, hopefully, that, that, that hopefully we're wrong, don't believe in the real presence of our Lord. So we're seeing a great decline in the faith. And I'm interested to know about the future of parish life because, to my knowledge, most people actually uh, who, who do practice their faith don't seem to cling to the local parishes anymore or their local parish, they seem to travel a lot, including ourselves, my, myself and my wife, we travel uh, uh, away from our area to go to mass on Sundays. And so many other people go and make that trip. So I'm interested to know about parish life. But before we go into that, can, we, can you explain a little bit about 
where does the, the where's the theological grounding in, in in the whole concept of parish and the the territory around it and the domicile? We'll get into that. Domicile, my goodness. Okay, well, that's <laughs> going to be a, a, a thick and uh, heavy conversation. No, in essence, the church has always been uh, in expressive of its community communitarian nature, right? So, we always present ourselves as a community. The Archbishop here describes parishes as a family of families. So at the, at the heart of our understanding of ourselves is an appreciation of, of basically our Israelite heritage, where Jews understand themselves to be related to one another, albeit very distantly, but through the, the sons of, of Jacob. And in a similar way, the church has inherited that, right? So we see ourselves very much as brothers and sisters. And so there is a, a this communitarian, very familiar element to it. And that therefore means that where we live and where we work and where, where we spend most of our time is where the church is. So the parish is the visible expression and the visible presence of Christ through his church in a particular place. So it... it we take on, if you like, some of the, the role that, that or show forth an aspect of Christ, that he is present and interested in the people who live where we live, in, in our neighbours and our friends. So really, uh, so it stems from the diocese where, I mean, my understanding, my, my thoughts were that when, when our Lord instituted the 12 apostles and we had the 12 tribes of Israel, each diocese could be seen as another tribe of Israel. I mean, that, that's just my observation. Could that be a... Is that, is well, I, I, I wouldn't want to push that too far. There's a nice symbolism to that, and it's fairly neat, insofar as each diocese is headed up by a bishop, whom we regard as a successor of the apostles. And yes, I suppose we can see it that way, except that there are more than 12 dioceses in the world. Exactly. It becomes a little bit tricky in how, how to push that. I suppose for, from my perspective, because I'm a parish priest, I have to think about how the parish instantiates the, the whole church. So we're not a microcosm of the church. That, As you, you're quite right, that is the, the role of the diocese. You know, the, the successor of the apostles with his priests and people is the, the microcosm of the whole church. The parish, if you like, is just the visible expression of some part of that uh, microcosm in a particular locality, in a suburb or two. And, uh, I mean, it's, it is quite interesting because how do we see the, the whole function of parish progress throughout the ages? Surely there wouldn't have been enough churches in the, different, in the four patriarchates, you know, Alexandria and Jerusalem and everywhere else. Did we just see the bishop initially and uh, who would send out delegates or is it, do you have a bit of an idea of how it developed through the ages and through the middle ages, uh, how this whole concept of a parish and its territory developed? Sure, sure. The, the fullest extent that I'm aware of is that dioceses basically were much smaller geographically and uh, demographically than they are right now. So the Archdiocese of Melbourne has a million Catholics in it. Well, in the early church, it would have a fraction of that number. Uh, basically, everybody would know their bishop and know their bishop in a way, perhaps a bit like Catholics would, we hope, know their parish priest. Yeah. Uh, certainly, the bishop would then not be able to get round to all of the people who 
that he was responsible for, and he would send out presbyters, so his council of elders, whom he had ordained, to go and celebrate some of the sacraments with the people in some places. So not all of them, the, the priests weren't able to ordain, but they are very obviously delegates in the sacramental sense of the bishop. So we, we have a, a strong and uh, healthy relationship with our bishop if we're, if we're doing this right. Uh, if we are dependent upon the bishop for our faculties, uh, he sets the agenda for the diocese and the way in which the, the uh, preaching of the gospel will unfold, um, we are dependent upon him. Uh, thankfully, in, in Melbourne, we have a very visible, very personable Archbishop in Archbishop Comisoli, uh, who we have yet, to be honest, to see at St Dominic's, but I think that's mainly my fault. I think I'm meant to invite him, but he will come as soon as he's ready. Excellent, excellent. And so what is the definition of a parish? To put it in a parish is, is a very, very briefly, is a certain portion of the people of God. That is, it's a group of people. And the group of people, at least the parish that I'm responsible for, is defined by a geographic boundary. That is, that I, I could walk around my parish. There are some parishes in Australia, uh, thinking of Latin mass parishes, perhaps migrant parishes, if there are any around. Uh, they might have a, a different kind of relationship to geography. They might have a parish of a whole diocese, for example. A certain kind of person would be in, in not a geographic parish, but a personal parish. But at its heart, the, the parish is a group of people with their priest, who is their proper pastor. So the priest is primarily responsible for those people. And we see that play out in things like the responsibility he has to celebrate the sacraments, to teach the faith, to visit the sick. Uh, there are certain duties incumbent upon the priest to care for those people in the name of the bishop. Excellent, excellent. Because I remember many years ago when I was growing up in high school and uh, I, I wanted to visit this certain parish. I mean, this again substantiates, you know, that, you know, young, a lot of young people travel, you know, to certain parishes which suit, you know, their spirituality. Um, I went there and, the, and I said to the priest, look, can you come visit my grandmother and everything else and come give her the sacraments? He said, oh, no, you'll have to talk to your parish priest about that. Uh, who's your <laughs> parish priest? Where do you live? And, I, and to me, it really hit me, you know, as a young, young kid, um, uh, finishing high school that, oh, well, you, you can't go out of your boundary, can you? <laughs> but then I understood that they have to care so much for, there's enough work within their geographical territory, the church and its geographical territory to care for. So yes. I understood from there and then. And these days, these days I expect that a, a priest, so long as he is courteous and respectful of the other parish's uh, responsibilities, uh, most priests are quite happy if their visiting priests who come through for one or two things. But if you if you set up a, a stable apostolate in someone else's parish, I think there'd be some questions asked, and rightly so, because the priest has to be responsible for people. You mentioned quite rightly that lots of people, especially with respect to your age, uh, go, go looking for a parish, and they don't necessarily choose the, the parish which is closest to them or the one that they really, in fact, belong to. By right, every parish, every Catholic has a parish, uh, and every every Catholic has therefore a parish priest. This is a feature, especially of, of cities, where we have a great number of different parishes, 
all within a very close proximity to one another. So there's opportunity, if you like, to choose different places, um, different styles, different emphases, and so forth. All, all of that is there. Um, but nonetheless, we keep returning to the fact that the priest has responsibility for you in the place where you live. So it's in your best interest to try and meet him and support him because he, he has to work for you. He has to help you out when, when you ask for things, when you ask to get married or get married to uh, have your children baptized. You know, the, the priest is at your local parish is primarily responsible for you. Excellent. And I, di I didn't really understand that for another parish priest to conduct something within that geographical territory, he, he would need the permission of the existing parish priest. Uh, well, is that the I suppose formally, yes, it's, it's permission. They, but practically speaking, it's courtesy just to let him know, to let your neighbour know that you've had to go into some other part of his parish. Um, you don't want to duplicate things that are already happening. You don't want to try and undercut something which he's trying to do. So there's an important uh, use of resources, an economic use of resources here, which is part of the reason why we have parish boundaries. It's so that nobody slips through the cracks. I, I have plenty to do in Camberwell East, my parish, without worrying about what my neighbour next door might or might not be doing. Uh, and if parishioners happen to choose to come across to St Dominic's, that's their decision. Um, they're always very welcome. And I know that there are many, shall we say, refugees who come across, who, who you know, appreciate what we're doing at St Dominic's. Uh, and that will be the case in many other places too. I know there are parishioners who told me, much to my sadness, that they go and visit the neighbouring parishes because they like X, Y or Z feature. Um, I always give them a hard time about it with a great big smile on my face to try and encourage them home. Uh, but I appreciate that very much in city suburbs, there's the opportunity to choose the kinds of parishes and its style that you might, might warm to. What's going to nourish your faith? Ultimately, at the end of the day, my goodness, we're not going to fight about, you know, someone hopping across the, the parish border to attend a parish that isn't technically theirs. Uh, with people working in one place and living in another, people attending a school, having their children attend a school outside the place where they normally live and work, uh, we are much more uh, mobile within our city than we have ever been in the Western world. Yeah, I mean, that brings me to the next point of discussion, which is my, my practical experience and the experience of yourself, many other millennials and young adults and even different faithful of all ages is that where I go to Mass on Sunday draws people from all over Sydney. Mm. Um, where, where certain parishes which have a more let's say, conservative outlook or traditional outlook often attracts younger people who don't live in that area at all and they travel far distances. I mean, I've heard cases of people travelling from Newcastle from the Central Coast to parishes in the inner west, you know, that, that offer a certain mass or have a more traditional outlook and able um, to have sacred music I mean, it really just shows now these days what's what's really happening. And, um, so, do you? Yes, that, I, I would echo that point. Even here in Melbourne, I'm familiar with some of what you're describing in Sydney. Uh, in in Melbourne.
when not far from here, there's an excellent parish. It's, a, it's alive and it's young. It's got lots of families of different ages. Uh, one of the, the signs of health of a parish is that you, you have, priests can point to different generations within the same church. You can say there are, there are babies and there are children and so forth. Um, and, and that particular parish, they, they do things beautifully. Uh, the, the priest preaches sermons of note and orthodoxy. And there are people there I know who travel up to an hour to get there. Now, that, that's a heroic commitment, really, but they have voted with their feet. They've voted to go to a place where they think their faith, they'd find their faith nourished. And that's fantastic. Uh, and it, it says a great deal to priests in other parishes, perhaps even on the local level, just what's possible and what's, what is going to attract the people to their churches. I think priests can be a bit reluctant to try new things or try even older things for fear that they are simply old or new. Um, priests can be a little bit reluctant to, to do what you know, has been asked of them or priests can uh, experiment with things in a way that might not be as useful to others as they think it will be. Um, but the point is to, to try and meet the people and see what's working. Now, at the moment, what happens to be working is more traditional elements. Yeah, um, correct. That was not always the case. You know, the, um, when, when I was a child, the thing that worked most was experimentation, <clears throat> not tradition. Um, now, that, that's neither here nor there, except to say that we try to do what is going to be best for the church, what is going to be best for the church in the parish, in the diocese, in the, in the world. Um, so I, th I think there's a question of prudence there. The, the priest has to look at his parishioners and the kind of parishioner he is inevitably going to attract and see whether there's a group of people that he might be missing and how you might attract them. Excellent. So what do you think from your observations can your average parish learn from, from what's happening now with the numbers and the, the, the demographical shift and, and the yes. fact that people are hopping, parish hopping everywhere at the moment? Because it, it's a big thing at the moment. And uh, what are your observations that, that we, the average parish can learn in, in the suburban areas of Sydney, Melbourne or anywhere else in the country, at least in Australia? I, I think it, it would not be a unique observation to myself that... Um, typically, the older the parishioner, the, the, the closer they travel to their church, the less they travel to their church. So a, a, a parishioner uh, will travel very far if they believe that there's good liturgy going on, but they're usually younger. So if, if the priest wants to attract younger people, then he has to put on a mass which has the features which will attract a kind of young person. Um, similarly, if he expects that he, he is missing old people from his parish, I think it would be a rare parish that's missing old people, but nonetheless, then he needs to, needs to produce liturgies which are going to be more comforting. So that goes also for extra liturgical services that the priest might provide, thinking of faith formation and so forth. Um, more familiar elements, um, such as catechetics and so forth, that might appeal to a senior generation, but a younger generation might need a different form of engagement with the faith. They might need something that's more service oriented because that's the nature of their religious commitment when they're younger. Um, so one, one big thing is just studying the kind of people who are attending mass. Uh, what, what is working in other parishes? And there's a, 
an honesty and a humility which has to be adopted by ev every press, beginning with me, to look at who might actually come. The other thing is um, uh, perhaps people need, need to be encouraged in new forms, or relatively new forms of liturgy and faith formation. Try something which has not been tried before. We don't want to shock people. We've had you know, decades of that. I remember in the 90s, you know, when I was a, a high schooler, that the, the, basically the way that some priests operated was they believed they had to shock people into practising their faith. Uh, I, we can do things a bit differently. But the, the point is to try something which has not been tried in that parish where a priest might be for some time. At the moment, traditional elements are missing. Uh, you're hard-pressed to find a parish which has some chant in its usual liturgical life. You'd be very hard-pressed to find a, a parish which uses Latin or Greek chant uh, on a regular basis, except perhaps in the extraordinary form communities uh, and in the, the Eastern Catholic churches. So, so I, I wouldn't worry so much about uh, the possibility of losing people who are already practising. I think their faith is hardier than, than it might be suspected and that trying new elements might bring a new person, new kind of parishioner back into the church. The other thing is that the church can provide at this moment in human history, a counter witness to the kind of secular culture that we're seeing, which is very much about what I can see, taste, touch and so forth. We can provide a different sensory experience which connects people to the transcendent in a way that nothing else can in their in a, a secular or religion-free life. So something which feels like they are being connected to the beyond, to the eternal, to the spiritual, to God, is in fact a very real experience for them. And having more of those moments where you, you kind of realize that you're in, in a different place all of, all of a sudden those are those are gold and if we can as priests animate a parish to produce those uh, that that would do a lot um, basically because word of mouth is an excellent evangelizer uh, people parish hop not because they have you know read about a, a particular parish in the newspaper or they've come across the website necessarily but they do parish hop, as it were, because they know that through their friends, through their contacts, uh, that, that such and such a place is doing things well. Um, so if we are in, in contact with people and doing things well, then we might have a better chance of attracting them, especially with new elements which have not been tried for a while. I mean, interesting, I'm just thinking about an interesting phenomena uh, where... Uh, a friend of mine attends a parish in Sydney and it's very, very interesting. And it, and it really struck me as, as sort of like an experiment of what happens when a parish priest leaves, but this is a very good parish, but the parish priest was moved on to another parish. And then what happened was uh, because, because of the great orthodoxy, traditional outlook that attracted so many people to that parish, uh, the all the most of the faith you can say sixty percent of the faithful, and the liturgy team and the vessels were extrapolated out of one parish into the other. Oh goodness! Okay. Yeah, uh, oh. it just shows that when you build a good parish with good liturgy, good catechesis, good uh, faith-filled environment, um, 
what can happen when just simply a change of leadership happens. Mm. It's, it's, it's very interesting that I, I didn't realize as much that people follow a priest, uh, a, a good priest who has a traditional outlook um, and, and allows, uh, to, allows the faithful to worship in a more traditional way. Uh, people really just follow. I mean, it's, it's actually- yeah, so I, I wouldn't underestimate that. And, and there's something, uh, dare I say, biblical or apostolic in just that moment, right? So we know that people accompanied St. Paul on his journeys, that they looked forward to seeing him. Uh, now, there is a, a, a kind of cult of personality. We shy away from it, but I, I think it's part of the human aspect of the church, that we really do go after people who are familiar and trustworthy. You mentioned some of the things which, are, which make a priest trustworthy in the eyes of parishioners, right? So his orthodoxy and his faithfulness to the people, his care for them, actually counts for a lot. Uh, I, I think of a priest friend of mine in another country, uh, and although his parishioners may or may not get on with him, they all know that, that, that he would show up in the middle of the night for a sick call, and I think that, that he's respected for that. They don't, may not like his style or what he has to say or what he wears or, or what have you, but I think they respect him for the fact that he's dedicated to them, that he's really concerned for how they are and what they're, what they're about. Yeah. Excellent. And where do you think, let's talk about millennials more importantly. <laughs> talk about you, George. <laughs> um, I mean, we just have plenary, plenary council, which is great. We're pl- praying for the plenary council uh, a lot. And um, where do you, observe millennials are going where are the trends heading in terms of the the parishes that they often tend towards with their worship and catechetical style what what are you observing in the trends father yeah sure so they're going to parishes which are alive very simply alive right so where they notice their peers are and their peers i'm afraid aren't in your standard suburban parish they're in parishes which have made a particular effort to be different from their neighbour. It's not that we're we're kind of rebelling against the neighbour, but to be different in a a good way. So just next door to us in in Burwood here in Melbourne is the Missionaries of God's Love, and they have a a very active, uh, charismatic form of worship. There are lots of millennials, people of your generation there. Uh, there, as you know, you've mentioned that there's a, a very significant contingent in the extraordinary form communities, the Latin mass communities, which is laudable. Um, I'm, I'm looking forward to a revitalization of parish life as such, where the parish can provide what it's meant to provide for people. So that there has been a sad decline, if you like, in what parishes are prepared to offer. Perhaps we've been discouraged by obvious failure or just a lack of numbers. But if we don't push out and and keep looking for new people, then we start to serve a very small group. Now you mentioned millennials. Millennials are of the age now where they might be starting to to form a a bond with a significant other and start to think about settling down, having children, and all those important big things. Uh, So whatever we can do as parishes to provide stability, I think is going to be important in the future as well. uh, what the, the parish might do is offer a consolidation of what the millennial has acquired when they were free and able to go to any parish they liked. But now that they've found somewhere, 
they can bed down safely uh, without necessarily worrying about what the next priest is going to be like. From my experience, you often, I mean, there, there seems to be a trend that where parishes which have the extraordinary form or are solely dedicated to the extraordinary form of the Roman Rite, mm -hmm. or let's say the 1962 Missal, uh, seem to have about 60% of their, of, their, um, of their congregation, young babies crying, uh, young children. It, it's booming. It's absolutely booming. I mean, from my observation, I mean, everywhere you go, uh, parishes that are more conservative, traditional in the, in the new right, and in the extra, have the extraordinary form, whether they're solely for the extraordinary form or just um, have both forms. It's, and from my observation, that's where I see a lot of millennials, a lot of young people, including myself, uh, I attend on Sunday, the extraordinary form. And I mean, that seem, it seems to be where their numbers are from just my experience. And you have a great, great yeah, um, liturgies such as the Ordinarian, which uh, I regularly attend. Uh, absolutely beautiful liturgy. And, and you also see Eastern churches, a, a lot of young people in Eastern churches. Yes still you know like the maronites the the byzantine different byzantine churches and the other eastern churches that's where we're seeing i think a younger demographic uh, is that the case of your experience father yes yeah you to to start in reverse if you like in the eastern churches they've preserved the village atmosphere which is you know that you're much more involved in the day-to-day -day life of your fellow parishioners which keeps you all supported and, and practicing Whereas in, in Latin Catholic, your standard Latin Catholic parish, your standard Catholic parish down the road, you'd be hard pressed to find people who are involved in daily life with each other, you know, who, who are friends, right? Who yeah. hang out with one another. You'd be hard pressed. Well, I think we've lost that particular aspect, that, that mutual social life. Yeah. Uh, so there, there are many Catholics, my, my mother included, who part of the reason why they became Catholic is because of the social life of the church, that the, the social life spoke to the truth of the rest of the faith. Um, you mentioned also the ordinariate. I, I wish them well and hope that they flourish. Uh, there are lots of very good people in the ordinariate, and it's not for everybody. It's certainly not for your standard Catholic. So you have, have to have had some exposure to the Anglican tradition to to uh, get very much out of it, at least at the beginning. It, it requires a lot of, of a new... I mean, it's tradition. actually quite interesting because uh, we're regular attendees also of the ordinary. And uh, when I first took my wife during the outbreak of Omicron to the ordinary, because she had experienced uh, the ordinary liturgy. And when she, when she experienced it for the first time, she just said, I mean, this is absolutely amazing. This is, this, is, this is the bridge between the extraordinary form and the ordinary form. Yes. with some Anglican uh, tradition, Anglican uh, uh, features, patrimonial yes. uh, features. But yes. you could very much see sort of a marrying between the two rights, which is absolutely beautiful. Yes. And, um, and you, men you mentioned the Latin mass communities. Yes, I think, I think that's right. And, and it's become much more a feature of the church uh, since Samorum Pontificum. So once the, the extraordinary form was... Uh, liberalized at the celebration of the extraordinary form the latin mass was liberalized made more available yes you had a very large number of young people who were quite happy to attend uh, 
either the Latin Mass exclusively or alongside their, their standard parish Mass. Uh, it's a feature of your generation, George, that, that you're much more comfortable in attending different forms of the liturgy, different forms of the Catholic liturgy. That's not true of people in my generation and older who, for those people, it really is that the standard parish, the standard Latin Catholic parish, uh, celebrating Mass in English with hymns is the, is the normal way for lots of people. So I suppose I want to return to an earlier point, which is to, to look at the difference that each parish can make. So what, what are the features of a particular parish which make it stand out from its neighbours? And, and to enhance those, now at St Dominic's here, we have a great emphasis on liturgical preaching and faith formation. Now, those are things which we find to be indispensable because we're all about the truth. So I hope that although we may not be able to have the extraordinary form, the Latin Mass, uh, for re obvious reasons, uh, and perhaps for good reasons in, in our case, um, there, there's an opportunity to do what we do well. And I look forward to, to spearheading the new evangelization in Camberwell East. And uh, by offering the Dominican right, Possible. Well, I'm, I'm, I don't know how possible that is, to be honest yeah. with you, George. As you can appreciate, it's, it's difficult to start, yeah. and I want to be very faithful to the mind of the church at this time. Uh, but I have celebrated the Dominican Rite and happily do so privately from time to time. Uh, it's, it's just not part of the, the apostolic work that I'm able to work do. Tonight. Absolutely amazing. And what are some three practical tools that you can give to parish priests listening or anybody that wants to get involved in their parish on how to renew and work towards that new evangelization? Sure. But the first and perhaps most important is to pray for the local parish as such. So we pray for the church and we pray for the clergy and pray for our brothers and sisters in a, in a general way but we want every parish to flourish, even just as it is, yeah, with the very best of the Catholic tradition in it. So uh, visit your parish church and pray there for the health of the parish. That would be a very good thing. Ask God to revitalize the Catholic community in that part of the world. You won't lose out, put it that way. It won't become something that you don't want, in other words. Um, the other is to, to as much as possible, uh, be involved in, parish life where the priest is also involved. So there's a great uh, movement of various activities which parishioners can do, but as far as revitalizing or contributing directly to parish life, where the priest is also involved, that's a good sign that actually there's a healthy relationship between priest and people. So sidle up to the parish priest and see what he's doing and see how you can help him to do his work. Uh, certainly, I would appreciate it, and I would welcome anybody in this part of Melbourne to, to sidle on by, most welcome. Um, so, but be involved with the parish life, with the mind of the priest. Don't go it alone. Uh, make sure that you're always working with the priest. And the, then the third thing would be to be generous with your time. So at, at the moment in a post-COVID experience, for better or worse, we're in a recovery mode. The whole church is in a kind of recovery mode with a few exceptions. Uh, so it would be important to try and give of your time to the local parish, even though things might not happen quite the way we would want. We want to be more active, faster growing, a whole bunch of different things. What is just to be persistent and to be generous. We, we, all, we are all time poor. We all have things that we need to carry on with. 
but the, the church is one place where we, we really ought to give generously of our time, especially. Our time means, means the world, in fact, to the life of a parish. Thank you so much, Father, for being with me here and for providing us three solid practical tools on how to take action, work with our parish, and um, if you can leave us with a blessing. Sure. The Lord be with you. With your spirit. The blessing of Almighty God, the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit come down upon you and remain with you forever. Amen. Thank you for tuning into the Catholic Toolbox, The Art of Practical Catholicism. I'm your host and founder, George Manasseh. Until next week. God bless, take care, and take action. In this era of grave spiritual crisis, it is not enough to simply know about your Catholic faith. That is why we need a Catholic toolbox to equip us with the practical skills necessary to live our Catholic faith, to reach our ultimate goal, which is heaven for all eternity. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Join us every Tuesday night at 8pm for the Catholic Toolbox as we hand you the tools to go forth, live the faith and change our modern world today. Live on The Voice of Charity.